Hey everyone, this is Brett Jacobson, host of the Airport Wild podcast. Thanks for joining us on another episode. Um, today we have Julia and Darby, who are uh, FAA certified wildlife biologists for Lumakers Wildlife Management, and they're also corporate trainers, and they provide training to airports. Uh, to meet the need for the uh, FAA-required, you know, P-139. And they're going to talk a little bit about some changes in uh, the curriculum, um, some of their stories when it comes to uh, training airports and airport staffs and, uh, and the process involved in that. So um, we had a lot of fun recording this episode. I hope you like it. As always, follow us on Facebook. Like us on Instagram as well, and we will see you next time. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is Brett Jacobson, and welcome to another episode of the Airport Wild Podcast presented by Lou Makers Wildlife Management. Uh, today, I am really excited about this show. Not only is it one of our guests' birthday, but we are going to be talking with Darby Albrecht and Julia Priola. Um, they are corporate trainers as well as airport wildlife biologists for Lumakers. And they've kind of been doing a lot of uh, beta testing out in the field with virtual training, which obviously with COVID-19, uh, kind of reshaping the way that we do a lot of things. Um, they've adapted their training module as well as uh, pretty much everything that they do um, to comply with the FAA and their requirements for training. So, without further ado, Darby, happy birthday. How's Thank your day you. going so far? It's going well, very well. Yeah, and Julia, how are you doing? You're, uh, you're in Elmira, New York, correct? Yep, I'm actually at the airport right now doing the podcast out of my truck, so it's been gorgeous here all week. The sun's yeah. out. It feels like summertime. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, spring has sprung up here in New York. Uh, I know other parts of the country, uh, it's almost like summer, so that's cool. So let's start with this. Um, now, Julia, you kind of have like a little bit of a diverse background, and this is your first time on the Airport Wild podcast. So um, welcome, and thanks for joining us. But uh, talk a little bit about your background and how you uh, you came, you were at Lumakers, then you left, then you came back, correct? Yeah, so... I got my foot in the door with Lumakers when I was in college still. Um, as part of my program at um, SUNY Cobble Skill in New York, with the wildlife management degree, um, for your last semester, you either had to do uh, take upper credit courses, and that would basically prep you for um, going in and trying to get your master's degree afterwards, or you could do an internship um, with field work, which was basically prepping you to, to get a job right out of college. So I wanted to do something nuisance wildlife related. Um, and one of my professors said, Hey, this company 
makers. They're looking for someone just to do like, basically just like paperwork and stuff that no one else wanted to do. Um, they deal with nuisance wildlife. Be good for you to get your foot in the door. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so I started working for Lou Makers when I was in college still, um, just doing paperwork. And then I eventually progressed. I ended up doing my internship um, for that or through them um, for my last semester and then just started on full time with them afterwards um, once I graduated. And then I was with them for about two and a half years. Um, I left for a little over a year and I just couldn't stay away. So now I'm back. And it's quick, quick rundown of my, uh, my history with the company. So, uh, just talk about your role within the company. What are some of the, uh, <clears throat> now, obviously this, this episode, we're going to, we're going to talk about the training aspect of it, but you're kind of all over the place. Um, when it comes to, you know, unlike Darby, Darby's pretty much, you know, her, her contract is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, you're kind of nomadic let's put it that way talk a little bit about that yeah that's a good way to describe it um yeah so in new york we don't have like a one big contract with an airport um so basically um i kind of just bounce around wherever they need me um and a lot of that is for trainings like we're going to be talking about um and that's you know whatever state they need me to go to for training um, that's kind of how I bounce around a lot. And then we do have some, um, airports in New York that we do. Um, we don't have like a full-time contract with them, but, um, we've got smaller contracts with them. So for example, I'm, I'm here at Elmira, um, for a week. We're here for a week each month for a while. Um, and then, you know, I may be in Buffalo another week, um, may go down and check on one of the projects like Rhode Island, see if they need any help. Um, so I'm kind of just a floater, kind of just go wherever I'm needed. So your, Mar your Marriott points are, are through the roof, I'm sure, you know, travel all over the place and you're, you're a flyer miles, so that's good. Um, oh, yeah. All right, Darby, so, uh, uh, you know, your same thing when it comes to your, your actual field work, um, you know, you spend a lot of time, obviously, in Tulsa, but when it comes to training, um, you know, you're, you're also a little bit like Julia as far as nomadic, but um, talk a little bit about, you know, obviously COVID changed a lot of things for you. You know, one thing, obviously, uh, Lou Makers offers, you know, the FAA required, you know, uh, wildlife training, uh, but with COVID, you guys had to shift gears and you know, take advantage of virtual training. Talk a little bit about that transition and what it kind of looked like from, from your point of view. Um, well, when we were working with the 2020 curriculum, um, it was a little hard to condense all that down uh, into the four hours because the virtual trainings are four hours instead of the um, in-person eight hours. Um, but it was it was good. We got there uh, pretty well. It was more just a matter of I had to cut some of my funny stories out of uh, my telling. Uh, as for shifting into virtual, that was uh, once I got past the technical difficulties that I was experiencing early on, uh, it was pretty easy. Um, it's really nice uh, if people are all on individual devices, that's even better because then I can interact with them 
more as a class, uh, whereas if they're in the conference call style, um, it's a little bit more difficult sometimes to hear people when they have questions, but it's, it's been pretty good. I've enjoyed it. I do enjoy that I get to do it from my office. Yeah, I gotta, you know, obviously this is, you know, I, I don't travel a ton uh, specifically for work, right? But, you know, I have in, in the past, I, I, I've been extremely on the road primarily. Um, you guys ever come into any obstacles when you're traveling from city to city or airport to airport, whether it's even travel anxiety or homesick? Uh, Darby, you can go first. Navigation. <laughs> I don't know why, but all of the rental cars that I get are like new age space cars and they'll talk to me and they'll beep at me. They'll yell at me if I didn't turn my blinker on changing lanes or something. That's just, that's a little anxiety inducing by itself. But um, no, navigation, Google Maps is my best friend. So you have, you get demonic uh, rental cars that just start chatting to you? They're a little more AI-ish than demonic, yeah. There you go. All right. I mean, that could kind of come in handy if you're uh, on a long road trip at like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you just start talking to your car and having conversations. Uh, Julia, now <clears throat> you just recently went to Jackson, Wyoming, correct? One, what was that like? And two, you know, same question to you. What are some of the struggles or challenges that you have when it comes to traveling all over the country? I didn't go to Jackson, Wyoming. I was in Oregon, uh, Georgia, and Louisiana last month. Um, I, I generally, traveling's pretty smooth for me as far as flying goes. I can sleep on a plane. Um, I don't get nervous flying. I mean, if we're going down, we're going down, whether you're nervous about it or not. So might as well not stress about it. But um, no, the flights are good for me. The only stressful thing is, you know, if you've got a storm and a flight gets delayed, we usually have like a couple connecting flights. So wanting to make that connecting flight. Um, the worst travel experience I had was, I think it was three years ago, I was doing a training in this little tiny airport. I think, it, I'm pretty sure it was in West Virginia. Um, so I flew in, I had a couple of connecting flights, flew in, in like this little nine seater Cessna sort of plane. Um, this one girl that was flying with me, it was her first time ever flying. And I'm like, the planes are usually much larger than this. Um, but that was cool. We got to sit like right behind the pilot. And, um, so we, I flew in, got there, did the training the following day was gonna fly out the morning after um, and Hurricane Michael was coming through. So I knew it was coming through the night before. I, uh, I called the airline to see if I could cancel my flight. Cause I was like, oh, I'll just, I might as well. I actually, I had family coincidentally coming through the area to go back to New York anyways. They were like an hour from me. I was like, oh, I'll just hitch a ride with them. Airports let the airlines like, nope, we're going to charge you $250 if you cancel your flight. And I was like, no. Oh. So next morning, of course, waiting for the flight, gets canceled because of the storm. Um, go to get a rental car at the airport, no rental cars left. I called two other rental places, no rental cars. And I'm like, oh, this isn't good. So I called one last place, got a rental car, and then I just drove like almost 12 hours straight back to the Albany airport, dropped the car off, and then had to drive another like hour 45 home. So I was a little 
beat after that one. That was kind of a pain. But that's really my old, only bad traveling experience, really. So, Darby, so the FAA requires um, airports to uh, attend, like you said, the virtuals are four hours, but the in-person is eight hours. Talk a little bit about the training curriculum. Uh, what's the outline of what you both do when you get to these airports? Uh, for the training curriculum? What's the outline for the training curriculum? Yeah, so I know obviously there's several topics that you cover, but what's the, uh, you know, what's the, the general, I guess, uh, the norm of these trainings? Because you guys do so many of them. And first and foremost, these airports have to submit their WHMP, right, to do a review, and then you tailor your training after that. So what are some of the things that you look for when, you know, you're reviewing these WHMPs and then putting together, you know, a custom training curriculum for uh, that said airport? Well, we are looking for problem species that they seem to be consistently having issues with. Um, usually it's something like coyote or if they have a uh, a barbed wire fence like some of the GA airports, um, deer, deer are a pretty big issue. Namely for the management plan, we're looking for what they used to have issues with habitat and species wise. And then from their um, wildlife data logs, that is another thing that we request from the airport. Um, we look and see, for, we look for trends in wildlife activity, um, species, time of year, any peaks uh, in seasonality for species numbers. We look for all of that and then we kind of address that um, through as we go through the training. Nice. And Julia, like you, you were, we were talking off air. What makes a really good training class? Whether, especially, we'll talk in person and then we'll, we'll come back to uh, the virtual aspect. But, you know, for the sake of this topic, so in person, what do you think, in your opinion, makes a really good training class? Um, I've had some really good groups of guys uh, at certain airports. I mean, they're all good groups, but you'll get some, and the whole group is just, like, really energetic, um, joking around with each other, kind of, you know, you can tell they've got good chemistry with each other, and, um, you know, they're kind of, kind of poking fun at each other, cracking jokes, and, you know, everyone's energetic, they're they're all, all really nice guys, but um, like the group I had this week, they were just like that. They were joking around, kind of, you know, poking at each other, um, and that kind of makes it fun because you can kind of jump in with that. Um, definitely that sort of energy helps with the, just the training overall, and um, I, I like those kind of high-energy groups that like to kind of, you know, they don't, they're not taking everything super seriously. Um, they're kind of having fun with it. So it, it really helps, you know, go along with the class. And, uh, so Darby, uh, I know obviously you kind of spearheaded the whole virtual training, uh, aspect of this. What makes a really good training class, uh, from a virtual standpoint? Uh, kind of what Julia was saying, like, as long as the uh, group already has a good chemistry together, um, and you can kind of jump in with that, it's always really fun to like, it, it makes the training a lot more fun and engaging to be able to tease and joke with guys. Because um, as you go through the training, they love to chime in with stories. And it's usually one guy is telling a story about another guy because that guy had something embarrassing happen to him. That's usually how it goes. And you then got any examples of that? Huh? <laughs> 
Any examples of that? What's a, what's kind of a, some of the things that can go wrong uh, in the world of, wild, of well, wildlife I've management had, in airports? Some of the stories I've heard, um, I've had one where uh, ops pulled up to um, a coyote, cornered a coyote, and they put, were pulling out their gun to shoot it, and the coyote jumped and climbed the fence up. And then we had another one, also coyote, where they got the coyote trapped in the um, concrete footer of a uh, jet fuel area. And they had to wait for their biologist to get out there. And whenever the biologist got out there, he uh, basically spent a while fishing with the catch pole down in that pit, trying to get the noose over the coyote. Um, I've had some where they were trying to remove nests and the birds started attacking them. I think this, that story was barn swallows, which is funny because if you think about barn swallows, they're really, really tiny and they don't have like very big beaks or anything. So just imagine getting hit by a ball of feathers, an angry ball of feathers. Julia, how about you? You, guys, you ever hear some of these, uh, some of these same tragic, uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah, blooper stories? Yeah, I've actually got one from yesterday. So like uh, part of our, our training curriculum this year, we talk about, we go into kind of working dogs, using working dogs, you know, how we use working dogs, how they could be helpful to, to airport staff. And, and one of the guys started making, uh, kind of poking at making fun of one of his coworkers need, uh, I guess uh, his coworker was gonna buy this dog. This dog costs like $2,500. Finds out that the dog is actually deaf not old, you know, a younger dog, finds out the dog is deaf, still is gonna pay like $1,000 for the dog. So they're joking about how, how can they use the, how are they gonna use that dog when it's deaf? And I was like, well, whether or not you have a deaf dog, it's good to use both, you know, it's good to use hand signals as well. You're gonna have to since your dog can't hear anything. And uh, so that was just kind of a, one of the little things they, they like to, they just like to pick on each other. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely, uh... Yeah, I guess you could say uh, what I've noticed. Uh, I went to, I think I've gone to a few trainings and one of the, it's funny that you bring up these blooper store or that we talk about these blooper stories. Um, the one train, one of the trainings that I went to, uh, they were absolutely razzing on this one guy uh, because like his first week he went to shoot one of the uh, banger flasher pistols and he ended up uh, firing it off in his truck. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, so they were giving them a pretty good hard time about that. So um, I know that training was done by I think Brad Lewis uh, with the makers, and he spent a little bit of, uh, of time going over proper pyrotechnic use. So which you know one of the cool things that I really um, really I guess not not only just enjoyed, but uh, it, it was definitely a cool part of the training curriculum that I was a part of. So you guys also do firearm training, pyrotechnic training, which is kind of, I mean, <clears throat> when you think of like a classroom setting, you know, or when you think of that aspect of wildlife management training, like you kind of forget about you're handling firearms or you're handling pyrotechnics. Talk a little bit about what goes into that training topic as well as what are some of the things that you really, really stress Obviously, safety is one thing, but Darby, uh, what do you really kind of focus on when you're when you're training a class on firearms and pyrotechnics? 
Specifically for pyrotechnics, um, I try to I try to make it fun, but I that's the one where I get really serious um, because I've been to airports and I've heard horror stories. Uh, just this last January, I was at an airport where two weeks before I got there, they had a employee um, rapid fire shooting some pyros out of a multi shot launcher, and the multi shot launcher actually um, misfired, and the explosion from the primer or the cap was redirected down into the handle and the handle shattered in his hand and just tore his hand up like it was his dominant hand and he probably lost a good 40 or so percent mobility in that hand so that's that's like a life changing thing like the big thing with pyrotechnics that I stress is don't get complacent guys these are a type of firearm and you do need to treat them with the same respect I was at another training where they had a group of they were kind of interns, um, younger guys, and uh, I was, we took, we went outside and I was showing them the basics of pyrotechnics and I told them, look, we're going to use range safety rules. Um, don't point it at anybody, don't uh, flag anybody, don't point it at something flammable, etc. And sure enough, about 15 minutes into that little demonstration, I had a, uh, one of them uh, run the pyro gun across my, uh, across me and I was like no that's flagging somebody no get 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 to the back of the line the big thing with that is like <clears throat> it is it's very easy to get complacent with them because a lot of people just look at them like fireworks and that's how people get fireworks injur injuries is they get complacent you do need to have a cool head and be in the in the moment as you're uh, using these these uh tools yeah, I think uh, the complacency aspect of it and, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a, I'm a male and we do have an ego when it comes around, you know, I guess manly things, you know, and, and you know, but at the same time, we are children. <laughs> We're just grown ass children. So, you know, you see a fireworker, you see a gun and, you know, the eyes get really wide, you get really excited and, you know, so I'm sure that's probably pretty tough because you got to almost go from, you know, uh, the role of, all right, we're going to have fun to, okay, now I got to get really serious and now I'm like your babysitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I saved that particular part of the training for the last for the very last because at that point we've already like built up a repertoire and we've already been joking around and having fun and I'm like okay guys we're gonna shift gears a little bit this one's gonna be a little bit more serious and like not just um complacency with using the actual tools themselves but also like um safety and ppe and shooting from vehicles i have several funny stories that, um, about shooting from a vehicle that didn't go well um and i have a little prop that i use when i'm talking about ppe um, when i first started this job i had um, some aviator sunglasses and uh <clears throat> two weeks after shoot um starting to do control, I noticed that one of the lenses had a lot of um, black specks on it and I started messing with those and the tint on the sunglasses actually started to flake off because it had been melted by primer caps, ejected primer caps coming back and hitting my sunglasses. And like, what if that had been my eye? That, that could have been really bad. It was hot enough to melt the tint and I'm sure it could have bore a hole through my eye. Yeah, as I get older, I guess I'm not going to say wiser because I do stupid stuff all the time. Um, 
Well, like, you know, for example, when I was younger, I mean, I'm an outdoorsman. So, you know, recently we were, you know, sighting in some guns and stuff like that. And I was never one to wear ear protection or anything like that. And then now, you know, my, uh, yeah, my family makes fun of me all the time. They, they say I have selective hearing. No, I'm just, I think I'm going deaf a little bit because of years and years of, of shooting and whether it's, you know, duck blinds and whatnot. But, um, but now I'm like, you know, all right, you know, for the first time I wore safety glasses and ear protection, just sighting in a shotgun. Yeah. You know, like, and you know, the old days, I guess you could say of being, I don't know, I guess cocky, arrogant, like that plays a part in it. You know, you kind of take it for granted, like, you know, all right, you know, if you see something that, you know, you want to either shoot or, you know, you have to, you know, depredate, um, you know, it's that extra step of like, okay, put my glasses on, you know, put my ear protection in, make sure this, make sure that, like go through that process. So yeah, go ahead. And so I address that whenever I'm going through the pyrotechnics training, like I tell them, if you don't want to be carrying around an extra set of glasses, get sunglasses that are, um, what is it? Shatterproof resist, um, shatter resistant. Yep. They don't shatter in your eye on impact. Get those so you can just bop them down. And then for ear protection, if you're, if it's just pyrotechnics, if like not firearms, if it's just pyrotechnics, there's like a small technique you can do where <clears throat> you're supposed to have your arm uh, already up at a 45 degree angle. So what I tell them to do is if you're in a hurry, put your head down to your shoulder and then use your other hand to plug your other ear. And that's your, that can be your quick and easy ear protection. Um, but me, I always just keep an air, a pair of ear squeezies in my pocket. Nice. Yeah, I like the ones that have the string on them because then you can just have them around your neck and they're right there yeah. and you're not, well, you shouldn't lose them. Um, but I took them underneath my collar. Yeah, it's easy to just put them in. Um, as far as firearms training goes, I really enjoy um, getting to shoot with people who haven't shot before, whether or not they, they've never shot a gun before or if they just haven't when we do the firearms training, um, we're shooting shotguns and we're shooting clay pigeons. Um, so a lot of people haven't done that before. So I like to get the newcomers because they seem to take everything very seriously, especially like Darby said, we kind of change our tone to a more serious one when we are talking about firearm safety and pyrotechnic safety. So they definitely pick up on that and they, they, absolutely listen to you because they haven't done it before and I've had quite a few new shooters who have never shot a clay pigeon before never shot anything flying through the air hit their first clay because they listen to everything you say and they're they follow instruction they don't think oh I've done this before I know what to do I'm not you know not listening as well um so I really like to see that because um they just are listening following the basics doing all the correct safety um, stuff, and then they kind of get rewarded, you know, for their efforts, and they're, they're able to hit some plays, and then all the, all their coworkers are like, oh, hey, look at that, you hit one, and it's just, it's kind of neat to, to uh, see that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I definitely suck at shooting clay pigeons every once in a while, like, I'll go through, yeah, yeah. um, and recently, I used to do a lot of waterfall hunting, and uh, I got out of it for about 10 years. And man, I was so cocky thinking like I could just climb right back in it and like, you know, revert to my old self. And uh, 
Yeah, no. I went through like a box of shells this last year on a duck hunt, and I think I only got maybe half of one. Uh, so like, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty rough go there. But um, so we're gonna push pause real quick, okay? So I sent you guys an email for the for another link. Just click on that one, and then um, we just got like two more topics, and then I'll let you guys get back to chasing geese on on. Uh, on runways. <laughs> Spear tackling geese. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yep. Click on it and we'll go there. Right, bye. Hey, so <clears throat> we just talked about obviously firearm training. Um, what do you have to do? Is there certain qualifications as a trainer that you have to, whether it's a course or a safety course that you have to, uh, that you have to do in order to uh, to train uh, other airports on uh, firearm training? Yes, we have to go through, well, our company, we go through the NRA um, instructor courses. So I believe all of the trainers, Lumakers trainers, are certified instructor, NRA certified instructors in both rifle and shotgun. Um, and sometimes Cody will like let us go do other stuff too. Um, but we are all trained in at least shotgun instructor. Nice. What's that training like for you, uh, for you, Julia, when you're, obviously you have to be trained and then training somebody else. I know you talked about, you know, training somebody new, but what about somebody who's been around guns maybe their whole life and things like that? Do you ever, I don't know, see something and point out like a specific thing that you're noticing that maybe they've never even picked up on their entire, I guess you could say, you know, hunting career or outdoor career? Um, with someone who's really familiar with firearms, they, they pretty much, uh, you know, know all the same stuff. There's not too much that's new to them. Um, and it's nice when you get those guys because they're, you know, they're very aware of it, of the safety um, aspects. And I, I really haven't had any issues with anyone, um, like, not following my instructions. Sometimes, like Darby said, she had someone accidentally kind of flag her with the pyro um, launcher. Um, I've never had anything like that with a, with a gun. I've, I always, like, when, when we are letting someone shoot, um, we are never really that far from them. We're always kind of right there. I usually stand about a step behind them, um, kind of like diagonally from them, from them, but you kind of have to be right there just in case something happens and you do have to step in. Um, I always am very aware of whenever they're handing um, the shotgun off to the next shooter. Every, I mean, I, I address it before we start, and then every single shooter, when they're handing it off, I just say, safety on and point you know keep it pointed down um make sure you're not pointing it at anyone because you know i don't want like you said someone gets complacent or whenever we do the firearms trainings the guys usually turn it into a competition uh between them see because we each uh, shooter gets five shots so everyone's always trying to you know go five for five for hitting plays they'll split up into different groups have like like last night i had day shift versus night shift so they actually had a cardboard piece of cardboard with a scoreboard and uh you know if you're day shift um they're keeping track of how many you hit night shift i can't remember what shift one i think 
if lost and they had to buy everyone ice cream or something like that. Um, but so they kind of make it, you know, a fun activity. So when you're, you know, having fun, sometimes you might not completely be aware of, you know, where you're pointing the gun, make sure the safety's clicked back on. Um, but I've never really had an issue to that. Cause like I said, I'm always kind of right there and I'm, I'm always reiterating things. So I've never had an issue. I have a, um, a funny story if I may, Brett. Um, one of the times I was giving a firearms training, one of the uh, employees, um, he wasn't from the U.S., I'm not entirely sure where he was from, but he'd never held a gun before. And so, like, we went through the basic stance and everything, and he shot off his first couple shots, and he got one on, like, his third or fourth, and he was so excited. He was jumping up and down. Everybody was patting him on the back, saying, good job. He was so, so stinking excited. And that was, like, a really nice moment, because... With our trainings, we a lot of the time are reviewing material that um, they know or that they already incorporate into uh, their wildlife program. We'll bring in new stuff, but <clears throat> it's an annual training and sometimes they feel like they're just forced to be there. So like that moment was really, really nice for me as a trainer, um, getting to show somebody something that they'd never done. And he was so excited about it. Do you know, was that guy possibly from Nigeria? I think he might have been. It was um, uh, it was an airport in Louisiana. Okay, I did I did a training in Ithaca. I think it was three or four years ago. We had some guys from Nigeria come to the training, and um, same thing. I had a, we we use high powered air rifles, and um, I. Uh, Cody told me to, to bring mine for that training. He did the training with me because we had, you know, these, these guys from out of the country and they had never, um, I think there were two or three guys and one of them had never shot, like used a scope before, never, never looked through a scope, never shot through a scope. So we, same thing as Darby was saying, like went over, showed them the ropes, showed them how to do everything. And we had a tennis ball we were shooting at. And a bunch of the other guys had gone before, you know, that, that are familiar with firearms have always shot. They couldn't hit this darn tennis ball. This guy, first time ever even using a scope and he nailed that tennis ball and same thing. Everyone was jumping up and down. Oh, good job. And he was super excited. Um, so yeah, like Darby said, it's always kind of nice to be a part of that. Yeah, so. I always like uh, showing off to them too. After my firearms trainings, I'll sometimes have, uh, we'll have extra shells or something and the guys will want to see me shoot. Um, one of my favorite, favorite memories is uh, all the guys had been shooting and been trash talking each other so bad. And they were like, we're going to make you do this at the end. We're going to make you do this. And I was like, okay, okay. And I don't remember if it was the airport manager or the operations manager, but somebody, one of those two had the high score of eight out of 10. And we finished up and we still had enough shells for me to go. So I went and 10 out of 10, bam, 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 bam. And they were just, and like, yeah. I've been on the ski team in high school. I do this for my job. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, I've had the same sort of thing. You know, everyone's all like, you know, it's all, all tied up or everyone's pretty close. And they're like, you shoot, you shoot. And you're like, all right. Like you realize my company pays me to shoot ski once a month. <laughs> and, uh, 
And so, yeah, it's, it's fun when you hit all of them. And especially because we're females, I, I think sometimes they just don't expect it. Um, so it's kind of funny to, to see them in awe. <laughs> And then uh, check your uh, your surveys now, that uh, and hopefully they write up. Because <laughs> after you just stomp on their pride, uh, I'm sure they're going to leave you a glowing <laughs> glowing review. But uh, no, flip side. So you know, I, I'll never say that I'm a, a, a terrific marksman whatsoever. Uh, but you know, same thing. I've had some training and I've shot lots of ski, lots of trap, all that stuff. And uh, my, uh, I want to say it was like my first week, I had to, I got the, the privilege, I'm not going to name any names, but, uh, but I got to uh, shadow one of the, the biologists, and uh, he, had a, he had an off day that day, and, uh, you know, he blamed it on all sorts of things, whether it was sweat in his eyes, or, you know, it was really hot that day, but, uh, <laughs> You know, we turned it into a little bit of a friendly competition. And uh, long story short, uh, it got real quiet at the end there. Uh, he didn't do a whole lot of talking whatsoever after I started racking it up. And uh, and then, uh, you know, we, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, but, yeah, that competition and then, you know, sometimes it comes out, you know, you, you get somebody in your class or – where you get somebody riding with you that, you know, you don't expect to be able to shoot. And then it's like, whoa. So I'm sure, uh, yeah, I get that. Especially if a female does it. could be, uh, yeah, could be a little demeaning. So uh, so one thing that you had mentioned, uh, Darby, um, when you're doing these trainings, yeah, you know, a lot of times because it is an annual training, one of the things I know you're really big on is new material okay um and in the industry that you know the two of you work in a lot of this stuff is repetitive you know you can only teach so many things about bird strikes uh and how to collect snarge and the smithsonian and this and that but um there's a lot of new technology as well as new topics as well as you know even new species that you're running into. Uh, kind of talk a little bit about how you selected some of the new topics uh, to put into the training curriculum. Um, I cheated a little bit. Uh, so I was- I like uh, the honesty, especially on your birthday. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, 2020, I, um, for 2020, I was always passing out these training evaluation forms. And at the very bottom, we had a little, um, what material would you like to see covered uh, in next year's training, et cetera. So basically I just went through my whole stack of training forms and just pulled the comments. And a lot of people wanted to talk about trapping. A lot of people wanted to talk about alternate methods of mitigation and stuff. And um, for our bald eagle PowerPoint, <clears throat> um, that one just kind of happened. Uh, I had been intending to talk about the bald eagle permit, and then I realized that it wasn't necessary, necessarily um, required for airports to actually haze bald eagles. Uh, and if you need more information on that, you can go back and listen to uh, our previous episode where we discussed that. Um, but for selecting our material, I mostly went back through the training evaluations and tried to listen to what the, everybody was saying they wanted or needed. 
uh, and we just kind of went from there. It, it kind of ballooned a little bit, actually, the alternate methods uh, PowerPoint. That one is very, very large. So, Julia, you kind of came in because, you know, you had left and came back. Uh, what were some of the things that you noticed and what are some of the topics that maybe get suggested to you that either don't get covered or don't get covered enough that you're seeing from uh, the, the training classes that you're conducting? Uh, yeah, so I, I think Darby did a tremendous job at developing the 2021 training curriculum. Um, especially it was impressive to me that she did it on her own because um, when I, I worked for the company back a couple of years ago, um, a few years ago when I first started, we would kind of like uh, different biologists would kind of be assigned like, hey, can you do um, this section for the training? Can you put a PowerPoint together for this section? And then, you know, can so-and-so put together a PowerPoint for this section? We'd all kind of get different topics and then we would have to um, develop a PowerPoint for the training based on that topic. So when I was talking to Darby when I first started back up and she's like, yeah, I did the 2021 training curriculum and she, she was nice enough to go through everything with me because I, I had to do a training the following week. Um, and I kind of in my head, I was like, holy crap, this girl hit the nail on the head here with this. Um, Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah. I'm not just saying that because it's your birthday. I'd say it any, any day. Um, so yeah, I think she did a really good job um, because I think a lot of the material that she developed for this year um, wasn't, you know, it's not quite as repetitive as, as I thought it may be. Um, and especially like we have a PowerPoint on uh, drones, the use of drones, and then possibly the use of drones on airports to do wildlife work. Um, I found that really interesting. And as she brought up, um, you know, <clears throat> we're kind of, you know, think we're headed that way to where we will be able to use drones more on airports. So we might as well educate and inform um, airport staff about it so they can, you know, have another useful tool in their belt, basically. Um, but yeah, as far as things that should be, um, like if anything should be added, you know, it's tough with the with the zoom trainings you can't be as interactive um with our previous trainings we would always have like hands-on activities for the staff to do for example a few years ago we did uh, uh um, activity with animal tracks so we had all these like silicone molds with all these different animal tracks and we would hand them out and we would also give them a a, a book that had a bunch of animal tracks in it and say hey um, see if you can identify these tracks using your book. Um, so they'd go through working groups, kind of, uh, you know, get their, get their tracks identified. Um, so stuff like that, like the hands-on stuff, we, we don't have a solid hands-on activity for this year, just because a lot of the trainings are still virtual. Um, and we, we do have in-person trainings every so often. So, you know, it might be good to kind of get something going as far as hands-on goes because you can only sit and listen to someone talk and watch PowerPoint for so long. So it's always good to kind of break it up with some activities. Um, I know we do have some kind of like, you know, little pre-tests and, and other ID activities, you know, like on in PowerPoints. Uh, yeah, but definitely the hands-on stuff is, is kind of a nice break for them, I think, as far as the whole, whole training goes. 
If I see somebody falling asleep, I just chuck a piece of candy at them. Yeah, I've yeah. actually heard that about you. Uh, we can't get people. <laughs> they wake up. Uh, so yeah, two things. One, yeah, so um, it's definitely, I think it's definitely a good practice that you, you hit it on, Darby, as far as, you know, reviewing, you know, the comments and the reviews, which is a very important thing. And for anybody out there that's listening, you know, I, I know it's hard to, you know, very often, very seldomly do I even ever give feedback, <clears throat> especially like, you know, when, when a waiter or somebody at a fast food restaurant sends you, hands you the receipt and says, you know, go online and fill out our survey. I never do that. Right. But it is really, really, really important to hear back from, you know, some of these airport staffs um, because, you know, one day you could be in Oregon, the next day you could be in Elmira, New York. And those are completely different, you know, uh, parts of the country where maybe there's something that we're missing or maybe there's something that, you know, the previous company missed that they want or they need. So feedback is definitely important. And obviously all that stuff being online now, you're welcome. Uh, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to review all those uh, those comments and suggestions. And one of the things that uh, I think Julia just mentioned was drones. Okay, so I get crushed on this on Facebook and social media all the time because the drone lovers out there uh, are very passionate and they are, they kind of feel like they own the sky as well. And uh, yeah, so what are some of the things that you're seeing with new technology that's popping up that you now have to either train, talk, address, or, you know, maybe even possibly down the road use? For me, the two newest points of technology that I've been seeing are A, drones, and B, um, I, I don't remember exactly what they're called, but those uh, game cams that are... Uh, that basically just transmit the photos immediately to your phone. Oh, and the cell phone cams? Yeah. Um, been seeing those used a lot for like feral hog trapping or for monitoring a specific spot on the fence. Um, and been seeing those a lot. I haven't really gotten into researching or learning a lot about them, but I know that they're very, very handy for feral hog trapping. Um, but drone usage, actually here at Tulsa, um, our operations department is uh, training to get the, their uh, RPIC, their remote pilot license. And uh, so we soon will be having a drone and that will be very, very exciting. The type of drone that they got though, isn't specifically for wildlife. Actually they have two, but um, the one that they got uh, has a lot of sensory equipment on it and a really, really good camera. I think it's called a FLIR camera um, or no. And, ADX maybe, um, but one of the one of the things that they can do with this camera is um, when they go instead of having to go up to all of their signage to do fade checks with like a little piece of colored paper, they can just go up with the drone and take a picture and then compare that um, color to the color on their uh, computer screen. So they don't have to get out and do all this stuff, and it's a lot easier for like weather and stuff. Um, they also have a lot of different other sensory stuff, like they can do um, pavement checks where they can do like depth readings and look for weak spots in the pavement and stuff. And that helps like replace the coring 
uh, method and such. It's, it's really interesting and in there's a lot more to learn and there will continue to be a lot, um, there will continue to be a lot more to learn because uh, the FAA is going to come up with new regulations and stuff that you'll have to learn and abide by and such. So drone, drones are probably the really big one for me. Yeah. I agree with Darby as far as the, the drones go. Um, yeah, I can't really think of any other like really new technology other than possibly the reporting systems that some of the airports are switching to. Um, so um, the way, basically just the way airports are logging their wildlife um, dispersals and stuff like that um, over the, I don't know, past few trainings I've had, a few of them have mentioned upgrading to, you know, possibly a better system that's more interactive. Um, I think one of them uses like ArcGIS. So um, it's, it's, you know, just going to be much more detailed. Um, there's another program, program called Bioshi that I feel like um, some airports have been switching to and it's um, whenever they record wildlife stuff, they can, you can have a map. Everything's like on, on a computer, on a map, and you can even see like if, if they dispersed a, a goose or a duck or whatever. Um, it, they can even show what direction it flew off in, um, and they can just put a lot of specific details in there that are helpful to us. Um, but other than that, that's, that's pretty much all I can think of right now. I love those apps. They make data analysis so much easier. Mm -hmm. so, so much. Yep. So here's one. Uh, when you guys go to an airport that we've never done training for, Right. Uh, in your, you know, I know obviously the USDA, they do quite a bit of training as well. Um, what are you hearing as far as um, feedback or what are you noticing when you're coming in and taking over um, an airport that has been trained by someone not Lumakers related? So some of the feedback that I've gotten, um, that relates to that, uh, especially when we, we can do the in-person trainings is that we um, are more interactive um, because when we do have in-person trainings, like Darby and I mentioned earlier, um, as far as like questions go, if someone gets a question right, we'll, we'll throw a piece of candy at them um, as a reward. If they, if they fell asleep, we'll also throw a piece of candy at them, not as a reward, but as a wake-up call which doesn't happen too often, but um, that sort of thing, like Darby said, we like to share kind of our own stories. We let the staff share their own stories as well. Um, and then um, I've, I've heard from some other airports that the, I won't mention names, but like the trainers they used to have, it was literally the same exact material year after year after year, and really nothing changed at all. Um, and I think that's something that we're pretty good at. I mean, it's an annual training. Some things are repetitive, but we're good about changing it up from year to year um, and not, you know, having everything be the same exact material. So I, I find that staff really likes that um, with us over other trainers is that we just kind of change it up a bit more so they don't have to, you know, sit through an eight hour class of the same exact information year after year. 
I would agree. I mostly get comments on new material was great and uh, enthusiasm. That's another thing. What um, what are some of the? I mean, obviously, um, I mean, I could read off. I mean, the list of topics that you guys cover from mammal identification to trapping, um, harassment techniques. Uh, you guys even dive into. Um, you know, federal and state regulations when it comes to, to obtaining permits. How much of, how much of when you're reviewing, you know, the current policies and procedures, do you make suggestions or correct maybe what they're doing uh, that might actually not be right? <laughs> Further state and federal regulations? Yeah, as far as like getting, obtaining permits or uh, further state and federal regulations. I don't know as if there's so much things that they don't do right, uh, but maybe things that they um, can either approve upon or change. For example, um, you know, I've had some airports where they're having issues with say like beaver um if there's like a, a body of water like a creek that runs through the airport and uh they're not sure if they can remove it or not and then so we just refer back to their state permit and i go through it and i'm like oh no it, it says right here you can take beaver but i feel like they, they don't always read through it like they should so it's good for us to go over things with them um as far as the federal permit goes the majority of the things I've had um, is just like helping airports get maybe a species added on to their permit or having a, 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 a limit increased or decreased. Um, so that's mainly what I have had to deal with. I don't know if Darby has anything, anything else. State and federal, I mostly have only really helped on like renewal applications. And the only advice I've ever really given is uh, whenever you're renewing your federal permit, uh, take all the answers and copy and paste them over into a Word document and save that document so that you have them for next year because a lot of those answers stay the same. So that, that's really been the only advice I've ever given on permits really. Oh, I did sit down with one airport and like we went through with a highlighter and highlighted all of the pertinent sections and like you're, you don't have a limit on any native species up until 700 and they thought that they couldn't take any species other than killdeer, meadowlark, starling, pigeon, like the, the basics, the basic ones, but um, they had been misreading their permits. So we just went through it with a highlighter basically and that was pretty good. Is there any yeah. that you might struggle with, you know, as far as maybe it's just a hard one to, uh, to, to teach or, you know, a difficult one to keep people paying attention to? Probably, yeah, probably the regulation stuff with their <laughs> permits. It's, it's not the most fun thing, but, you know, we do have to go through it and make, make sure people understand it, especially if they have a new operations guy, especially if they have a new airport manager. Um, I dealt with that recently where a new manager came in and they're already overloaded because they have so much to, to deal with. Um, so it's good for you to kind of just go through their permits with them, make sure they understand them, um, what they can and cannot do um, under their permits. So that's my main. I would agree. Like the state and federal is 
usually where I have people just kind of zoning out. Um, but we try to make it fun. I, I do have like one sticky spot in that particular PowerPoint and that's where I go over euthanasia. Um, before I do that, I always ask the class, is anybody here who's squeamish or does not partake in wildlife depredation? And usually it's all right, but we'll go over the, um, the acceptable methods of euthanasia and then I'll debunk a lot of the old trapping methods. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of circle back and wrap all this up at the same time. So obviously when you came to Loomakers, right, um, you, you kind of had the vision of, uh, of being an Air Force wildlife biologist. And now both of you are trainers. Um, talk a little bit about the journey and, you know, a little bit about how it actually came to be. Okay. Mind if I go first, Julia? <laughs> oh, oh, birthday girl, you go. <laughs> yeah. Mine was basically I got pushed off a, <laughs> off a cliff and just thrown in the deep end. That's how my journey went. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, uh, my journey, uh, I got to attend, I think, three or four uh, trainings with um, uh, seasoned uh, trainers, um, mainly Clayton and Cody. And uh, then after that, uh, I'm the only office in the Midwest region, really, that has the freedom to do trainings. So uh, I, I kind of deal with most of the Midwest regional trainings um, and South and uh, et cetera. But um, so I went from, oh, okay, I got this con or I got this job to do 20 hours of control part-time at this airport. Awesome. This is a great step forward. And then like four months later, I was like, oh, I'm traveling all over the country giving these trainings. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was, it was a fun journey. I learned a lot. Um, I'm a lot better of a public speaker now, um, trial by fire, if you will. And you know, it's, 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 it's been good. Like I've, I've seen a lot of personal growth in myself, um, especially when it comes to like, uh, people skills and managing a classroom and stuff. It helps that, um, like four of the people in my family are teachers. So I might just be genetic. How about you, Julia? <laughs> Yeah, so like, I didn't even know this job existed, even when I started with the company, because um, they just had me doing paperwork, and then I I kind of got my foot in the door with, in with them, and I was like, oh, that, okay, like airport wildlife biologist, I guess that makes sense, you know, if you think about it. Um, and then, yeah, same as Darby, I kind of started, I just started doing paperwork, and then after that, um, Cody started taking me to trainings with him, and I was just sitting in, observing, um, kind of learning, learning the ropes of the training. Um, and he also had me doing, you know, at airports with him, doing control work and all that. But as far as the trainings go, I, I remember I was always very nervous at first about presenting and giving presentations, especially, you know, if you've got 20 people in a class or more. Um, and you know, same thing as Darby said, I feel like I have really grown. And uh, as far as my public speaking goes, um, I am not ever nervous doing a training now. <laughs> Sorry, airplane just flew over, it's a little loud. Um, you know, you could put me in front of 50 people and I, I'd be just fine now. But uh, yeah, when I first started out, I'd get so nervous. <laughs> but those days have passed. 
I would get so nervous, especially because like it was going over federal regulations and like I knew the material I'd been taught the material, but I still didn't feel very prepared because I was just like, what if they ask questions? I don't know. So yeah, I was just nervous all the time for those first couple of months. And then the virtuals, I think really helped because I was able to condense the material down and get um, kind of a shorter exposure time. So it just became easier, I think, after the virtuals. Yeah. Yeah. As far as questions go, same thing. People would ask me questions at first and I'd be like, I don't know. And I would tell them that I didn't know, but that I would find out for them and, and let them know later on. Yeah. So I feel like if you do that quite a bit, you kind of gain all this information um, and then you're, you're pretty much prepared for almost any, any normal question people would ask in a wildlife training. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. Go ahead, Darby. One thing that I do love about the in-person trainings is uh, at the end of them or before them, uh, we'll go and do a site inspection and like you get to see all the other different airports. And basically, like you were saying, becoming a wealth of knowledge, um, you just absorb all of these different uh, techniques or solutions that these airports came up with on their own for dealing with wildlife uh, issues. And I get to take all of that knowledge with me to other airports and help that help other airports with that knowledge. So like, I'm a little hub of knowledge for airports right now. It's pretty cool. And I like helping people with that kind of stuff. So it's nice. Yeah, I, I do like, um, you know, getting to travel to, to so many different places because um, you get to, every, you know, everyone's different in every, every, you know, region of the country. So it's kind of cool to get to interact with those different groups of people. Um, honestly, it's also cool to be in the different areas also, uh, just like food wise. Yeah. Um, whenever oh I go to training at the end, I'm like, I ask people like, Hey, like what is, what is a meal or a food like in the area that this place is known for? Um, so it's good to kind of also be able to get into the culture and, you mm -hmm. know, kind of experience new things like that. Louisiana food, dude. Oh my God that's that stuff is the bomb Holy that that white barbecue sauce they put on stuff oh my oh, god yes i don't i don't know what's in it cracked i guess but geez <laughs> um no i had a, a seafood platter down there and i'm not usually big on seafood but oh my i wanted more it was so good and it wasn't expensive either i think for the whole seafood platter that was supposed to feed three people um, was only like $15. It was, it was so great. The food. Oh my God. Food is definitely a perk. I will say that. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you guys, you realize you're, you're talking to a very husky human being over here that, uh, been getting right around lunchtime. So, uh, I appreciate that. Um, look, um, I appreciate both of you, uh, the insight in, you know, the, the experience and the stories. Um, I appreciate both of you guys doing, uh, you know, being on the show today. Um, everything that I've heard and all the reviews that I've read, um, both of you are doing a, a tremendous job. Um, and I encourage anybody out there right now, if you haven't attended or been a part of either an in-person or a virtual training, by all means, reach out to the makers. Uh, you can visit us online at www.airportwildlife.com. Um, or look us up, Blue Makers Wildlife Management. Um, follow us on Facebook. Um, 
share this podcast, take a listen to it. It is, you know, two guests that are a wealth of knowledge uh, and very experienced. So Darby, you have yourself a phenomenal birthday. You've earned it. Um, I'm sure you can find a movie to watch uh, based <laughs> off <laughs> your DVD collection. Uh, and Julia, um, you know, you enjoy uh, and, and you know, working in Elmira. I'm sure there's some woodchucks that you have to take care of. Uh, <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. So um, I appreciate you guys both being on and uh, we will definitely do this again. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So enjoy your day and we will talk to you next time. All right. Thank you, Brett. Bye.